so most of them were women, so you had learned how to talk fast, so they didn't take turns. <laughs> and so uh, uh, I worked uh, as an engineer for 12 years. I loved my job, loved what I did, and uh, God, that was about ministry, so I quit my job, sold my house. My family thought I was in a cult, and uh, so I moved to Tulsa, went to Raymond Bible Training Center for two years. They just started the second year, so I stayed another year, and uh, still didn't know what I was going to do. So we're going to do. I don't know. I think it's ministry, but I don't know. I don't have any idea about ministry. I didn't have a minister in my family, and, uh, and so um, got on staff with Pastor Bob, and I stayed there for ten years. And so uh, we had six kids, because I always wanted a big family. I wanted a ton of kids. Uh, common sense. I didn't want to grow old by myself. <laughs> because, you know, Grandma always had somebody to take her to dinner, take her to lunch, buy her a couch, send her on a cruise. <laughs> I'm serious, you know. So I told my kids, you know, I had you on purpose. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I'll put you to work. So... Uh, Anyhow, uh, my wife that I fell in love with, she just turned 18. We got married. I just got out of the Army, just turned 20. And so we got married. We didn't know anything. We are dumb as dirt. And, uh, so we grew up together. Uh, we didn't know anything about divorce. Nobody in our family had been divorced. We never uttered those words. You marry somebody, you marry for life. And so hopefully you get lucky and marry somebody nice. There's no, such, there's no such thing as luck, and there are no nice people. Most people are dumb in the dirt and meaner than snot, and you don't find that out for about three weeks. <laughs> and then you realize, what have I done? You've married that big boy. <laughs> and every nut and family tree comes with it. So uh, we learn things natural. So I worked with Pastor Bob, and so they came to us, Joe, can you teach on parenting? I said, what? Yeah, we need to teach a parenting class. Man, our families are all messed up. And uh, I said, sure, I guess. So I went home and told my wife, I'm supposed to teach on parenting. She said, you don't know anything about parenting. I told Pastor I didn't, but he thinks I do. And so I got to start Sunday night. And so, uh, so every Sunday night at 5 o'clock before the 6 o'clock service, I taught a class on parenting. So I did that for a year, and uh, nobody hardly show up, you know. The only, people that, <laughs> the only people that came, the people want to kill their kids and <laughs> figure out how to do it legally and uh, <laughs> figure out how to get them out of the house as quick as they can. It was, it was just a mess. And so I did that for a year, and then my pastor said, Joe, can you teach on marriage? Our marriage is in trouble. You know, all our counseling rooms are full of our people, not the unbelievers, our own church people. I said, sure, I can teach on marriage. So I did that for 10 years. So I left there and went to work for Willie George, and I worked for him as a crusade coordinator. One weekend I'm out with Fire by Night. Next weekend I'm out with Pastor Willie. Next weekend I'm out with Fire by Night. So I traveled all over the country, and we did seminars. And so... Uh, Pastor Willie said, Joe, you want to travel? I said, sure. He said, well, I'll send you out once a month, and I'll pay the plane ticket and everything. And so uh, once a month, I went on my own and taught on uh, parenting because nobody would teach on parenting. People don't teach on parenting because they think you have to be a perfect parent. There are no perfect parents. There's just doofuses. <laughs> and uh, there, there are no perfect marriages, no perfect parents. Everybody's a doofus figuring out everything. And I said, you know, if you think you've made somebody perfect, just give it a few years. It's going to change. They're going to grow. They're going to change their attitude, what they think is important. Uh, they're going to change their political party. They're going to change. They're not going to stay the same. 
And so it's an adventure. God knew what he was doing when he made Adam. So I'm an old engineer, so I think real logical. So you got to go back to the book. Now, everything I'm going to share this morning is coming out of this one book. You don't find a great marriage, you build one. Jesus did not find a church, he built one out of some sucker hell-bound sinners. That's deep, but you got to let that sink. And then I'll share just a little bit of this. God knows how to raise your kids even if you don't. But he does. Kids are in God's mind. The first thing he said to Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Drop some babies. <laughs> well, people don't think that's important anymore. Matter of fact, we're, we're overcrowded. We're just too many people. We're overcrowded and we're running out of everything. And so I'm an old engineer, so I think logical. Now, Jacksonville, Florida is the largest city geographically in the United States of America. You drive north to south, take you two hours to get out of the city limits. Big city. But every human on this planet, all eight billion people, will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits. You give every human three square feet, every human in China, Russia, Taiwan, Texas, California, every human on this planet will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits. You can have Texas all to yourself. <laughs> We're not running out of anything. My Bible says there's going to be a thousand year reign of Jesus on this existing planet, and he's not back yet. There's at least a thousand years of wheat, oil, gas, food. We're not running out of nothing. God's not stupid. But I've had so many, well, do you think it's a good time to get married? Perfect time to get married. Never been a better time to get married than now. You've got to be kidding. No, great time to be married. And well, what about all this? And they'll quote the news. They don't quote Jesus. They don't quote the Bible. They quote the TV. And well, you're feeding on the wrong thing. You, you feed on the wrong thing. And so I tell people, I've told all my kids, there's never been a better time to get married than now. Never been a better time to have a baby than now. We are in the last days. God promised in the last days he had put his spirit on all flesh. Our sons and daughters would prophesy with dream dreams, have visions. He turned the hearts of the fathers to children, children to the fathers. We live in the greatest time of human history. Why would you not want to do that? Well, you know, it's bad. Where? You're on an alien planet. Satan's the temporary god of this planet. He steals, kills, and destroys. Hell's in charge of the earth. Now, I do all the family fun funerals and weddings because I'm free. Funerals are amazing. They're entertaining. So I'm doing the open casket up in Copperhill, Tennessee for an uncle that died early. He's early 50s and shouldn't have died. And so it's an open casket. They're filing by the casket, shaking hands. They all whisper like the dead. You'll wake the dead up. So they all whisper, you know. And so my uncle comes out. It's his brother here in the casket. Brother Joe, really appreciate you doing the funeral. No problem. So he's shaking my hand, looking down at his brother. I guess God needed him in heaven. So I just squeeze his hand one time to pull him out. I said, no, God didn't need him in heaven. He wasn't even good to anybody down here. <laughs> the only thing worse than being a preacher is being a lying preacher. <laughs> so you got to tell the truth. Truth will set you free. So the greatest thing on this planet is the body of Christ. We're sitting in the most powerful thing on this planet, a local church. Two things last forever. The words of this book and the people of God. One day everything's going to disappear, except 
the words of this book, and the people of God. Eternity is the words of this book and the people of God. So the most important thing is make sure everybody in your family gets born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. Secondly, get them in a local church, volunteering, ushering, greeting, cleaning a toilet, mowing some grass, stacking some paper. And I told my kids, we go to church every time the doors open. I remember my second daughter years ago. She asked on a Saturday night, she said, Dad, are we going to church tomorrow? I said, what is tomorrow? She said, Sunday. I said, yes, ma'am. We'll be there when the doors open. We'll stay till they close them. We're going to usher and greet and stack papers. And we're going to volunteer and we're going to mow the grass. We're going we're to be in church till Jesus comes, babe. It is what's happening. We are part of the body of Christ. And so if you don't want to get that in you, you're a wandering nomad the rest of your life, looking for something, and you already had it. Amen. I remember uh, years ago, I got to go to South Africa, and as uh, South Africa was settled by a lot of Dutch that came down, rich, fertile soil. So potato farmers came down, giant potatoes. They grew them big potatoes. And so all of a sudden, somebody discovered gold. Then they discovered diamonds. And so people selling the farms go hunt for gold, go hunt for diamonds. And so this one farmer held out to the last, one of the last ones. Finally, he thought, everybody's getting rich except me. Everybody getting rich except me. I'm, I'm digging potatoes. They're digging gold and diamonds. So he sold his farm to another farmer and loaded up his wagon. And for the next 20 years, he went looking for gold and diamonds. 20 years later, they found a note on his wagon where he'd gone broke. His wife had left him. Kids had left him. And so he died broke. So he threw himself off his wagon into a river and drowned himself and died. Well, the story is, it's on a plaque next to a huge diamond mine in South Africa. The story on the plaque tells the story. Well, he sold his farm to another farmer who was, he liked planting potatoes. He liked doing it. So he needed to put up a bigger barn. So he invites a friend to come and help him build a bigger barn. And so they're building the barn. You stay with him for a couple of weeks. So your, your window faced the west so you can have light when the sun goes down. There's no electricity. So you can eat your meal when the sun comes in the window. So... They're eating their meal that evening, working on the barn. Sun comes in when it hits this big old crystal rock on top of the fireplace mantel. And his friend gets up and says, man, what is that? So that's a big old crystal. Man, that's huge. That's beautiful. Yeah. Man, if I don't, but I think this is a diamond. No, it's too big. It can't be a diamond. Man, I tell you, you need to take this town and have somebody look at it and ask them if it's a diamond. Look, I live here. I'm not going to get embarrassed going to town after that big rock's a diamond. They'd laugh me out of town. I'm telling you, man, it's got to be a diamond. No, it can't be a diamond. The creek bed's full of them. True story. He and his friend grabbed two wooden buckets, go out back in a creek with about six inches of water, and filled up two buckets of diamonds just laying on the creek bed floor. The richest diamond mine in the world. One farmer sold it to go look for it. God knew you before your mother met your father. Your name was written down in the book of heaven. God promised he'd order your steps, direct your paths, guide you in all truth, show you things to come, surround you with divine favor. People that like you not even know why they like you, Psalm 512. But if you don't, if you don't read the book, you don't know. So my family, when hell lands, the phones light up. So then I'm Brother Joe. Brother Joe, you got a minute? Mm-hmm. Brother Joe, what do you think's going on in China? Well, somebody in Wuhan let something out of a jar and they closed Disneyland. Disney World has never closed except for Wuhan, China. They shut Disney down. 
But they'll get it back in the jar eventually. Because everybody's panicky. Everybody's got a mask. Everybody's panicky, you know, getting shots, whatever. They'll get it it back in the jar. Because I've read the end of the book. Now, I'm an old student. And so, used to, when I got people born again, I take them to the book of John. That's what somebody did with me. Go to the book of John. That'll kind of lay it out. Well, five years ago, I changed that. I don't take them to the book of John anymore. If I get somebody born again, what should I read? Well, I start with Proverbs. Read a proverb a day, but then go to the book of Revelation. Go to the back of the book, because that's the good part. That is the only book that has this promise. Blessed are those who hear and understand the words of this book. It's the only one of the books of the Bible that has a promise attached to it. And so, when I married Angel, my first novel, we were married for 45 years. She's a great gal, but she developed a brain tumor, and three months later, she died. We didn't understand it. We were shocked. I cried for six weeks. I don't know what's going on. I believe God, pled the blood, bound the devil. What happened? Well, every individual makes their own choice, and so she died. So six weeks, I, I can't stop crying. I just cry all the time. My kids ask me, What's up? just shut up and give me a minute. I'll be all right. And so I woke up six weeks after I buried my wife, and I heard God say to me, and you don't have to believe this, but I heard God say to me, get up, shut up, get busy. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you're right. Now, when Moses died, they gave, God gave him 30 days to grieve. Grieving's part of the process. But day 31, that's it, boys. Get up. We got stuff to do. We got some land to take. And so uh, it's a great story. So I realized, okay, I got busy. Well, then I meet Angel. Uh, her husband had worked for me on staff when I was with Willie. And so we knew each other way back. She went through a horrible divorce. She'd been single for 12 years. And she's working with a phone company. So when my wife died, Tons of people call because I go all over the country. Joe, so sorry. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I don't know what to say. And I'm tired of saying thank you. You know, and every time, your spouse could be dead for 20 years. Hey, I'm so sorry your spouse died. Yeah, that's 20 years ago. <laughs> appreciate it. Really appreciate it. And so people don't know what to say to you. And so they avoid you. They don't take you to lunch. They don't take you to dinner. They don't invite you over. Dear God, don't bring Joe over. I, mean, he, I, don't, I don't know what to say to him. And so Angel had lost a husband, so she called me. I know what it's like when you lose your spouse. Your world implodes. Nobody knows what to say. I said, yeah. I said, not if I call you once a month. No. So she would text me. For nine months, she texted me once a month. Now, I got fat thumbs. <laughs> I'm not good at texting. My phone has almost nothing on it. I just want to talk to somebody. I don't want to play games, go to the zoo. I just want to call somebody. <laughs> and so I'm real low tech for an engineer. And so Angel, how are you? I am good. How are the kids? They are fine. <laughs> so now I'm late. She called me one night. She's putting in 10-hour days with a, a big insurance company. She called. I hadn't heard her voice. And we hadn't talked 12 years. So I know that voice. So we talked about an hour and a half that night. And so every night she calls, get off work about 10 o'clock, driving home an hour. So we talked when she's driving home. Well, long story short, we fell in love. We got married. So we've been married five years now, and I've got a new wife, and uh, nothing like my first wife. He said, did you miss Denise? I said, never think about it. And Angel asked me, Hernandez, said, you ever think about your first wife? No. <laughs> I don't. Now, when, when, uh, uh, when my wife died, my kids moved me out of the house. I, I built that house. Lived there for, I think, 34 years. I built that house myself when I was going to Bible school. And big old Cracker Barrel porch around two sides up, way out in the country. At the end of a mile and seven-tenths of dirt road, you don't drive past my house. You have to come there on purpose. 
And when you come, you don't get out because I got dogs that bite your leg off. <laughs> they don't have names. They're just dogs. <laughs> UPS guy would never get out. He just honked the horn. Throw it out. I'll come get it. And so, so when, when I married Angel, uh, she's nothing like my first wife. My first wife was tall, black hair, green eyes, great mother. Angel's short, blonde-headed, blue eyes. She doesn't look nothing like my first wife. She doesn't think like my first wife. She's almost mean. She's the meanest little blonde-headed woman you ever met in your life. <laughs> I tell people, I think she scares hell when she gets up in the morning. Her and her husband built a 3,000 member church. Angel did all the hiring, all the firing, did all the stuff. They were a phenomenal church. And, uh, but he went stupid and had several affairs and they lost the church, lost everything, and he went belly up. Because, it's part of what I'm teaching this morning, good people go stupid all the time and you cannot go with them. We're on a journey. We're headed to heaven. Hopefully you get 70, 80, 90 years down here. Great faith, maybe stretched to 120. You know, I had two aunts lived to be 100, one lived to be 104. The McGee's lived for stinking ever. <laughs> They're just too mean to die. They're just too stinking mean. So uh, I was, I'm gonna be here a long time. So when I first wife died, and I said, yeah, let's get married. Well, I'm 67, and people call me, "You getting married?" Yeah. What for? Well, I think I'd like to wake up next to somebody. I kind of miss that. I think I'd like to sit across the breakfast table and drink coffee with somebody. I kind of miss that. I think I'd like to get in a fight with somebody and make up. I, I miss that a lot, too. <laughs> I'm not dead. It was amazing. So, you know, I married Angel, and we're, we're total opposites. We don't agree on nothing. Because <laughs> uh, I'm 12 years older than she is. And I thought I was... I thought it was about 30 years older because we would talk all the time and we, we would joke with them. I'm not ever getting married. Me neither. I'm not ever getting married. We're not getting married. I'm not getting married. So we just like talking. We just like, you got kissing cousins. You just like to talk. We should live five states away. There's no, let's get married. And so one day I was turning a rental car in Birmingham, Alabama and I'm on the phone. She said, Joe, you got a minute? Yeah, I got to turn a rental car. What do you need? Joe, I think I'm in love with you. I said, what? I think I'm in love with you. Angel, I don't have time to go stupid. I hung the phone up on her. So I landed in Tulsa later that night, and she called, did you hang up on me? Maybe I ain't got no time to go stupid. I like talking to you, but I, what, what are you talking about? I ain't in love. And, said, well, and so I said, how old are you? I'm old enough to be your daddy. How old are you? And she told me, well, 12 years, you know, someplace in the South probably. And so <laughs> I thought, and so long story short, we got married. And so we decided to get married one day. So my first wife, I paid $10 to adjust the piece, and we got married, and it lasted 45 years. No church wedding. Nobody ever got married in church. You know, you just pay somebody to do that. And so, and so you'll get married? Sure. Well, let's go down to town and get, get the license and get just a piece of marriage. And so I so, said, well, I've called somebody. I know everybody in town. I got a pastor friend of mine in marriage. Well, three of my most favorite pastors that I've been in, on staff with, they're all out of town. Must be a sign. So, <laughs> so I go downtown. Hey, you got a just a piece of marriage? No, he's off today. Oh, man, must be a sign. And so, angels of the yellow page, what are you doing? I'm looking at somebody that marry us. Who? Well, it's a guy in the yellow page. Somebody marry us. So she finds a lady in Broken Arrow that uh, uh, she had show dogs. And she had uh, three vans to the yard. She did 
parties for kids, balloons and cake and games stuff. So she's a regular entrepreneur. So she's in this gated community. So I call her, hey, will you marry us? Yeah. When you be here? 30 minutes. Okay. So get through the gate, go to her house, knock on the door. Lady opens the door. She's got a little foo-foo dog in her arm. And she's barefoot. He said, you, you join age? Yeah. Can you marry us? Yeah. Come on in. So we came in the lobby. We didn't go any from the lobby. She said, well, do you want, do you want the $50 wedding or the, or the $200 wedding? I said, what? I'm not making this up. You can't make this up. I said, what's the difference? Well, the $50 wedding, we're just going to say some words. I'll sign some papers, and you can go. The $200 wedding, we'll take you out back, have some cake, and ice cream, throw some confetti. No, I don't even know $200 worth of confetti. No. <laughs> and so... We didn't say any words. We signed some papers. She said, well, i got to have my husband notarize it. I never met him. He was upstairs somewhere. She came back and she handed me a piece of paper. She said, well, you're married. That's it. Yeah. We don't say anything. Only if you want to. <laughs> okay. So, hey, so I stepped out on the boards. We just stand when we ought to say something. I love you. You love me. God bless you. God bless me. So we held hands and said a little prayer and we went to a little country restaurant and had a meal and went home and had a honeymoon. <laughs> this last for five years has been really good. <laughs> now we're going to start in Genesis because it's a long sermon. Uh, when I, they asked me to teach on parenting <laughs> as a church, I thought, I don't know anything about parenting. And so I thought, well, I'm an engineer. When I worked as an engineer, uh, nobody would ever read a book. Men hate reading books. And so uh, I was working in Sykes, Missouri, and uh, had a beautiful home out in the country. I had built this big A-frame home in Sykes, Missouri, in the boot hill. And, and so uh, we just bought this big new rod breakdown machine. It's a copper company, make copper wire. Uh, 14 2, 12 2, 18 gauge, 28 gauge. If it's made in copper, we make it. It's an old, abandoned airplane factory that's been sitting empty. We moved our company from Jewett City, New Jersey, out to the middle of America so we get better workforce and cheaper labor and cheaper shipping. And so we opened this big old plant up, moved our machinery out. Well, the floors are rotten. We had to keep re epoxying the floors, re concreting everything. So we buy this one machine that feeds this whole plant. It takes big copper rod, breaks it down to all the sizes of wires. So this machine that we spent a ton of money feeds this whole plant. It's real important. So it's the back of the plant. It's about like 18 foot by 12 foot by 30 foot. It's a monster machine. So we bought it and somebody just plugged it in because men don't read books. <laughs> so two weeks into it, it just stopped working. And so I get a phone call. H.O., rod breakdown machine's not working. So I'm about two o'clock. I said, well, did you do this? Did you do this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll be in there in about 20 minutes. I drive in. I go in where the plant CEO, the plant manager showed up, and everybody's hitting the machine with hammers and beating on stuff. And so I said, well, have you done this? Have you done this? Yes, sir. I said, where's the handbook? And they said, what? <laughs> the machine comes with a handbook. If you buy a blender at Walmart, it comes with a handbook. You buy a lawnmower from Sears, it comes with a handbook. You buy a pickup truck from Ford, it comes with a handbook. This machine came with a handbook. Where's it at? They didn't know. It took 30 minutes to find it. It's in the bottom drawer of the foreman's office in the middle of the plant, still wrapped in plastic. <laughs> I can't make this up. So I'm ripping the plastic off. Every handbook has a section in the back called troubleshooting. 
Now, they, I'm an engineer. They think I'm doing algebraic equations. <laughs> I go back to troubleshooting, and I'm reading down this. Well, have you done this? Yeah. Have you done that? Yeah. Have you done this? Have you done this? Number five or number six, it said, is, is machine plugged in? <laughs> well, it's an old plant. The receptacles are old. You know, we, we big 220s and 440s. And the, the vibration, I figured just backed out. So I'm going, I'm looking down the back of the machine. They're still slapping on stuff at the front. I'm, like, I'm looking for those big plug-ins. It's got to be back here somewhere. I like, it's about 18 inches. I'm looking back there. Well, there's tobacco spit and paper cups and trash. I don't see it. So I was much skinnier back then. So I turned some ease down the back. I'm looking down the back of the machine. Sure enough, halfway down, those plugs are hanging halfway out of the wall. So nobody can see me. So I turn, I seize down. When I get to it, I kick it in. When I did, the machine came on. Boom, 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 boom. They're hollering. Hey, Joe, it's working. Hey, Joe, it's working. Okay, I'll be out in just a minute. And so it took me about a minute to get back out, and they're slapping me on the back, shaking hands. I said, if it tears up again, give me a call. Because <laughs> you don't tell a grown man at 2 o'clock in the morning, hey, stupid, did I check the plug? He's not going to buy anything for Christmas. So I come in the next day, Charlie McPhail was the plant CEO, played football for Michigan State, great guy. He calls me, Joe, I really appreciate you getting the machine working. So I'm in his office, no problem. He said, well, is it going to happen again? Yes, sir. Doggone it. Do we need to call the manufacturer? No, sir, it's not the manufacturer's problem. So he's got a pencil and a pad. He's going to write down what it was. He said, well, what was it? I said, it was unplugged. <laughs> now I work on commission. He said, did you charge us for that? Oh, yeah, that's an expensive plug. <laughs> now, Charlie, your, your operator could have checked the plug, but he didn't. Your foreman could have checked the plug, but he didn't. Your supervisor could have checked the plug, but he didn't. I checked the plug. I'm expensive. <laughs> but I bet you I never have to check that plug again. <laughs> and they changed all the outlets that week. Now, the reason I'm telling you that, whatever you're going through in marriage, family, there's an answer. Nothing's ever come up on anybody in the body of Christ that God has not already supplied an answer. You're not facing anything impossible. There is nothing impossible. All things are possible to those that believe. So, when I start teaching our families, that, well, I'm an engineer, let's go, what happened to the first family? So it's in the Bible, it's a real simple story. Now everything I'm reading, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I've not left the King James. I just don't speak King James. So I read the New Living Translation. So uh, I'm going to jump in here. Chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 18 of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. Helper. Now, the first half of that word's hell. <laughs> well, it is. So, it's the first six days of creation. Day seven's not showed up yet. So, God's talking to himself. And uh, before day seven, he's talking to himself. And then you can read it about And he said, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's real good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Then the first time God said, not good. You can read it in your Bible, God said, not good. He was looking at Adam. He said, not good. Adam said, what's not good? You, not good. <laughs> Later and take a nap. I'm going to fix that. So he puts Adam into a deep sleep. Adam wakes up, and in front of him was a centerfold of light. And he went, whoa. God said, I thought you'd like that. And Adam and Eve, they went off to fellowship that day. 
They didn't need any books or charts. They figured it out. <laughs> How in the world we have made sex so complicated? It's real simple. God's a simple God. He's powerful, but he's real simple. It's not algebraic equations. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> Anyhow, they come back, and they're fellowship and having a good time. Well, Lucifer's been kicked out of heaven. you got to get smush the islands in here. Three archangels. got Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. You know, Michael's the warring angel. He's going to whip somebody when he shows up. Gabriel, he's the messenger angel. He's going to deliver a message. Lucifer, he's the anointed chair of the cupboard. He's in charge of music, wealth. Uh, he's in charge of all the other angels. He's King Tut in heaven. So one day he goes to the Angelic Union Hall. Now it's got to be a big place because the Bible says that the number of angels is innumerable. You can't count them. There's too many. There's not a number. There's so many angels. You cannot count them, God says. So they get in the Angelic Union Hall. And Lucifer stands and says, boys, I can take this old man. Talking about God the Father. I've been sitting on the throne for eons of time, and I can take this old man. And the Bible says one-third of the stupid angels stood up and says, we think you can too. And Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven, tried to remove God from his throne. They asked Jesus, who was standing on earth with his ministry, they asked Jesus, you ever seen the devil? He said, uh-huh. What did he look like? It looked like a lightning bolt coming out of heaven. <whistles> Got fired from his job. Because God didn't make anything void and without form. God never makes anything void and without form. Well, how did the planet get void without form? The devil's thrown down the earth. He tore this place up. He's mad. So God recreates something lower than an angel, but has authority over the angel, called a human. Puts me in the garden. So Lucifer's walking in the garden. And the first thing Lucifer does is the same thing he always does. Are you sure God said? Are you sure God said? And so he's challenging the word of God. Well, Adam was here when God told him what to do. Adam's job was to tell Eve. Well, Eve has this message all messed up. Well, we, we're not allowed to eat that fruit. We can't even touch it. God never said about not touching. He said not to eat it. So, you know, the story, they bit into it. Whether it's an apple or not, I really don't care. Apples are great. So she bit in. She had an Adam. He took a bite. When soon as they bit into the fruit, scales fell from their eyes, and they realized we are buck naked. We got to go to J.C. Penney to get some clothes. <laughs> so they went and made some clothes out of leaves. And God comes every day walking through the garden. So God knows what they've done. He knows what they're trying to get them to repent. So God comes walking through the garden. He's talking to Adam. Adam, Adam, Adam won't answer. God says again, Adam, where are you? Adam feels like, well, I'm over here. God asks him, what are you doing? Adam said, I was hiding. God asked him, why were you hiding? Adam won't answer. God asked, did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? Adam's thinking. <laughs> it was the woman you gave me, God. <laughs> when it was just me and you, it was paradise. Everything was perfect. Ever since you brought that one in my life, it's been going downhill. <laughs> Message translation. <laughs> so God turns to Eve and what's your story? She said, that man's dumped on me again. He's dumped on me again. See, well, well, snake's fault, snake's fault. From the very beginning of time, no human will take responsibility for their own life. It's my daddy's fault, my mama's fault, my teacher's fault, coach's fault, 
Bosses fall. Presidents fall. Congress fall. Republicans fall. As long as I can blame somebody else, I don't have to do a thing. And I realized earlier in my life, whatever's going on in my life is my fault. My kid flunks algebra, that's my fault. My kid gets arrested, that's my fault. They're my kids. And so I'm the solution. I'm not to yell, scream, and holler, and cuss. I'm to find a solution. Blessed are the problem solvers. They should be called the children of God, Matthew. I'm a problem solver. That's what God created me to do. So I live on an alien planet. I'm behind enemy lines. Satan's the temporary god of this planet. He steals, he kills, he destroys. You read the newspaper, you watch the news every day, what's going on? Killing, stealing, destroying. Good news does not sell. Only bad news sells. That's why there's a lot of commercials on your news <laughs> program. When I grew up, news was on from 5 to 5.30. If you missed it, you got to wait another day. That's on seven days a week, seven channels, 24 hours a day. They're running out of stuff to tell. They're just making stuff up now. Why? Come, even the conservative channel, they'll come up. Some new hells just happened. We'll be right back after this commercial. Stay tuned. <laughs> now, I worked on two great church staffs, and I was shocked when I'd go in early in the morning. Now, I, I like my one cup of coffee a day. I drink one cup a day, but I do like my one cup. So we stopped by the kitchen, get my coffee, go into the office. People are showing up on church staff. Hey, did you see the news this morning? No, I don't watch the news in the morning. No. Did you see what happened in Afghanistan and Zimbabwe? No, I didn't, I didn't watch it. And these are spirit-filled church staff members, and they're full of the world. They're consumed with the world. They didn't read a scripture. They didn't read a verse. They didn't read their Bible, but they fed on that news. Turn that channel on. I go, watch. There's some hells happen somewhere. Well, it's going to change in five minutes. There'll be some new hell. Five minutes later, there'll be some more new hell. And there'll be some more new hell. And there'll be some... Satan's in charge of this planet. He's going to kill stillness. That's why prisons are full. Orphanages are full. I mean, it's a mess. You and I are behind enemy lines. Ephesians chapter 6. We have the armor of God. Breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, help of salvation, sword of the spirit. What are we? We're in a war. It's in a holiday. It's in Disneyland. We're in a war. We have been promised victory. We will not lose. We've been promised victory. But we have to fight. Jesus, the devil made a run at Jesus every day he's here on this planet. Once he came out of that water, because by the way, the devil couldn't find him because it's revelation, not information. Jesus finally finds that camel hair bug eating Baptist. He dunks him out of the water. When he comes out of that water, God sticks his hand out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Well, he said that for the devil to hear because the devil had not been able to find him for thousands of years. And all of a sudden, he follows Jesus off in the wilderness. Well, he notices something. He served Christ in eons past, the creator of the universe, Christ. He served him. This is some smelly Jewish flesh. So he follows him out and he notices he's not eating anything. Well, he's fasting. Well, there's only three kinds of fast. Three-day fast, eight-day fast, 40-day fast. On day nine, he's going for the big one. The devil does not bother him until he's at his weakest moment. The devil does not play fair. He's going to hit you where you're weak, not where you're strong. That's why God's where I'm weak. God will make me strong. So I've got it made. <laughs> so on day 40, the devil comes to Jesus and says, Are you the son of God? If you're the son of God, why don't you turn some of these rocks into bread? We'll eat some lunch. Talk over old times. For the first time in recorded scripture, a human 
quoted the Word of God to the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That hit the devil like a ball bat. The spoken word hurts hell. The devil cannot stand the spoken word of God. It tangibly hurts him. Well, I tell couples, you've got to start talking nice about your spouse. I love you. I love you. I, I bet I love you when you love me. And that's why marriage is held, head south right after you say I do. And so, and so he gets three, it is written, it is written. He goes to the high place. He said, I know, I, know, I know you're here. You're here to get back everything. He said, you bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. Jesus hits him with the third, it is written. And the devil left him for a season. The devil left him for a season, not because he plays fair, because he cannot handle the spoken word of God. He can't handle it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things to be not as though that. You got to start saying what God says, not what you're looking at. No, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I've been laid off twice. My company just shut down. I pulled into the gate, went down to Chattanooga. I worked for Old Madison. And the parking lot was empty. I'm there in the morning. So where's everybody at? Well, somebody in Belgium bought this company. I'm talking to the guard, and he sent me a pink slip. I said, I don't want to go to Belgium. They're not taking you, son. They're taking the plant. <laughs> and so I went outside, and people are starting to burn wood and protest. So I stayed there for about 30 minutes and burned wood in the barrel. I thought, no, nah, there's no future in this. Because my wife's going to say, what would you do today? Joe, well, I burned wood in the barrel, honey. I just burned a lot of wood in that barrel. That's not going to float, so I had to find the unemployment office, got me a job. Now the point of this is, the devil has one tool. He lies. The Bible says, you know the truth, the truth will set you free and it will keep you free. So these things do tell a lie, because if you lie, lightning bolt won't hit you. Sheba won't come out of the woods and rip your head off. You have to lie a lot, because God's real long-suffering, but he's not forever. Oh, not forever. So, Adam, they've sinned. They're buck naked. So, I'll pick up right here. Uh, it's so entertaining. I've talked to this so many times. Um, he said to the man, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. Before you sin, this plant will produce all the fruit and food you would ever need with no labor. But now that you sin, thorns and thistles are going to spring up. And you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. You ask anybody's job, how's work? It's hard. I work hard. Well, it's under a curse. This planet's under a curse. Until you get out of that curse, you're going to be in a mess. He comes to the woman. Then that you sin, he said, I'm going to sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain, you will give birth. Well, I assume that means before the fall, there was no pain in childbirth. Having a baby is like spitting out a watermelon seed. <laughs> After the fall, like spitting out a watermelon. <laughs> and your desire will be to control your husband, but he will ruthlessly rule over you. So I tell you, male chauvinism and women's liberation were not born in the 1960s. They were born in the Garden of Eden from day one. Man and woman's hated one another. The devil was trying to drive a wedge. So Adam and Eve got fired from the job, evicted from the house. Kids started killing one another. And that's the first family. Can you imagine running Adam and Eve down at Walmart? And all they're crying. 
Hey, what's wrong with you? We got fired from my job. Where'd you work? Down the garden. We got evicted from our house. Where'd you live? Down the garden. And our kids are killing one another. That's the first family. Hell showed up. You got to get born again to get out from under the hell. And then you got to use your shield and your sword to keep it at bay. So people are like, well, I thought when I got saved, I didn't have to do anything. No, no, Lord, no. No, you're just getting started. You got to get your arm on. And you don't just wear it eight hours a day. You wear it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you got to stay happy. The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. You got to smile all the time. Why? Whatever's going on, God's going to work it out to your good. Whatever happens, God's going to work. Whatever, if the devil steals from me, the Bible says, whatever the devil steals from me, God will make him pay back sevenfold. Amen. I'll bankrupt hell. Don't mess with me, devil. I'll bankrupt you. Because whatever you steal, you steal my raise, I'm going to get a bigger one. You steal my job, I'm going to get a better one. Whatever you steal, I'm going to make you pay back. But if you don't know who you are in him, in whom and in Christ, you don't know to claim it. You say, well, I just didn't, we've just had a rough year. It's just been a rough year. It, I hope next year will be better. It won't. There's no script that says next year's going to be better. <laughs> Hell's coming. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. Now, I'm going to read you some stuff. This is going to be good. I'm going to take a little short break. This is called The Blessing. I had three Catholic kids in my high school. I had 240 kids in my high school. Only three were Catholic. We're in the South. We don't know what a Catholic is. And so, and so they'd sign your yearbook every year, and they'd sign it the same way. All three Catholics would sign the yearbook with the same. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. I thought it was a Catholic saying. Well, all the Catholic kids always signed the end of that way. Well, years later, I finally get in Bible school. You know, I realized, it's not a Catholic saying, it's a Bible saying. <laughs> Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people with this special blessing. Hmm. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. God, when are you going to bless me? Whenever you say it. When are you going to bless my marriage? Whenever you say it. When are you going to bless my kids? Whenever you say it. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. I'm in Israel three times. I got a four trip plan. I love going to Israel. Jewish people are meaner than snot, but nobody will mess with them. I got a country the size of Rhode Island. If you start up in Lebanon, all around the Egypt, they are outnumbered 401 just by the nations that border their nation. If you count all the people in the nation that border that Rhode Island size country, they're outnumbered 400. Why don't you just lock arms, walk across the galley, and kill them all? Well, they've tried that several times. And they keep losing more land. Egypt, the Israel had to give half of Egypt back twice. Don't mess with us. We'll take your whole country over. Don't mess with us. You don't mess with Jewish people. There's seven years of Jewish history left. It's called the tribulation. We're in the church age right now. God's doing some great things. Very long suffering. But eventually the church age, we'll hear a trumpet. We go home and the seven years take over. And so... Are you worried about that? No, I'll be in heaven eating dinner. <laughs> Saddle my horse, come back with Jesus. 
Anyhow, I've taught high school for too long. Forgive me. <laughs> so, in Israel, every Sabbath, they shut the nation down. Now, only 30% of the Jews in Israel are Orthodox. The real thing. 70% are carnal. They're Jewish, but they're carnal. They live in the condos down by the water and they're having a good time. The Orthodox are in the, they're in the promised land, promised land. They're in the West Bank. Now, the secular Jews have tried to give the West Bank away twice because there's nothing out there. It's a desert. Give it away. No, the Orthodox just no, you can't give it away. It's the last place the Ark of the Covenant was. It's a very special land. So they're fighting to keep it. And so you shut everything down. And so if you're in a, we were in an embassy suite, Tel Aviv, I think, first time I was there. And so our guide comes out. He's a Jewish guy who's in the military. He comes out. Come here, I'll show what's going on. You look down the floor. It's Friday night. And so uh, Jews have church for 24 hours. It's a 24-hour church service. And so they bring the instruments. They bring their bathing suits. Everybody smokes. Even the kids smoke. That's the smokingest nation on the face of the planet. They're all lit up. They're dancing. And they're having the biggest time. When the sun comes up the next morning, it's the dad, not the mom, that gets the kids up to get them dressed to walk to the local synagogue. Then the dad walks them back to the hotel, and they do a lot of more celebrating and dancing and twirling. At sundown on Sabbath, on Saturday, the dad or the grandfather gets the whole family in a circle. So if you're, we were like on the eighth floor, you look down, they're circling up. What's it? They're families. They're circling up. And then the eldest dad, the granddad of the dad, gets in the middle of that circle, walks around and lays hands on every kid. Now they're speaking in Hebrew. But our God said, what he's saying is, may the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim. He's, what he's saying is, may God make you spiritually strong and economically creative. May God make you spiritually strong and economically creative. Can you imagine growing up in your home where your daddy laid hands on your head 52 times a year and said to you, God's going to make you spiritually strong and economically creative. Now, you're not going to mount the hill of beans. You're dumb in the dirt. I'll be glad when you're out of my house. You wonder what's wrong in America? Dads that spoke curses over the kids. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Somebody got to start saying what God said. You're blessed, you little knothead. Yes, you are. I'm not sure what it is, but you're a blessing. <laughs> now, these are old papers. <laughs> I'll requote this, Genesis 2.18, then we'll take a break in just a minute. It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. God made your wife by design. I've had so many couples come to me for counsel. I only counsel Christians. Only Christians. They come in and sit down. What's the problem? Well, you know, my wife's a she-bear from hell. <laughs> I'm cleaning this up a lot. My husband, the north end of a southbound mule. And uh, I said, why'd you get married? Because we were ignorant and dumb. We just fell in love. We didn't know anything. I said, you know, God knew who we were going to marry. It didn't shock God who you marry. When you get married, you marry your 180 degree total opposite. Because they'll say, we don't agree on nothing. You're not supposed to, you doofus. You're not supposed to agree on nothing. When, there's a bumper sticker in Texas that says, when two people are just like, one of them is not needed. 
that ought to be in the Bible somewhere. You marry your opposite. God looked down at Adam and said, you need Eve. So she can do things you cannot do. She knows things you'll never know. She'll accomplish things you can't accomplish. She's good at stuff you'll never be good at. You're a perfect match. When I was an engineer, you put in the gearbox, gearboxes for all the machinery. If you put two sets of teeth together in the gearbox that have the same number of teeth, you turn that machine on, they'll shear one another. Opposites attract. Opposites engage. When God gave you a spouse, he gave you a 180 degree total opposite. You're probably never going to agree on nothing. It's a gift. <laughs> Most couples, they come in, well, she better do what I say. Why? I'm the head of the house. No, you're not. You're the, you're the low end of the totem pole. <laughs> Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom? Become the servant of all. You're the upside down pyramid. No, you're the lowest person in your family when you're the man. You're the head servant. Your job is to serve your wife, serve your kids, serve your community. That's your only reason for breathing. You're here to serve, not to show off, not to be somebody. You're a servant. You got it's in the book. It's real good. <laughs> I told all my kids when they got married, and I said, listen, uh, first three years of my marriage, I hated my wife. We yelled, screamed, hollered, threw cans of green beans at one another, cussed one another. And my friends in high school say, what's wrong with your wife? I married a she-bear from hell. And they said, well, she sure is pretty. Yeah, the devil's good looking too. Did you ever read that in the Bible? The devil's good looking. <laughs> well, three years into my marriage, I got spirit filled. Finally got in church. So the next six years of our marriage got a whole lot better. And so nine years into our marriage, my wife's washing dishes one day, and I'm at the kitchen table. And I had this revelation. I said, I just thought of something. She said, what? You're not going to change, are you? <laughs> I'm not making. She, she turned around and looked at me and said, What? You're not going to change, are you? No, Joe. Is that a revelation to you? Yeah. <laughs> she said, No, I'm not. I said, Praise God, that's going to free up a lot of time. <laughs> I've been wasting a lot of time trying to change you. If you're not going to change, I'll just start working on me. <laughs> she said, That'd be a good idea. And the next 35 years of our life were wonderful when I started working on me. You cannot change your spouse. You can only change yourself. Oh, that's deep. You'll quote that later on the day, right around dinner time. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to tell you once, and I'll tell you one more time before we leave today. Don't you quote a single thing I've said today to your spouse, or you'll be in a fight before you leave the parking lot. Because <laughs> what you hear, I've been there. I've spent some Oh, thank God he said that. Man, she needed to hear that. <laughs> no, God's a good aim. If you heard it, it was for you, not for your spouse. So when you leave today, don't you say a word. You just smile. <laughs> and maybe they'll suck the lips off your face tonight. <laughs> this is from... Uh, Linda Waite and Maggie Gallagher, they wrote a book called The Case for Marriage. They're two fine Christian women. It is not a Christian book. This is the opening paragraph of the book, The Case for Marriage. They said married people live longer, have better health, earn more money, accumulate more wealth, feel more fulfillment in their lives, enjoy more satisfying sexual relationships, 
have happier, more successful children than those who remain single, cohabit, or get divorced. Now, it's just a book on engineering, what happens to married people. Marriage was the goal. God's not changed his mind. It's not good for men to be alone. Now, some people are going to be single all their life. The Apostle Paul was single. Wrote two-thirds of New Testament, prayed in tongues more than anybody. But he was the exception, not the norm. The norm is everybody get married. God's not changed his mind. It's not good for men to be alone. You're going to marry somebody, you're going to marry your absolute 180 degree direct opposite as my gift to you. So ask more. You need to be asking more. Hey, honey, what do you think? Sugar, what do you think? Babe, what do you think? Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do this right now. That's a dumb thing to say because it's, <laughs> it's going to get deep. You know, we, we, grew, we had milk cows. I grew up in East Tennessee and uh, I grew up in Turtletown, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Ducktown, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Copper Hill, Tennessee. I lived on a 400-acre farm. Uh, when I say farm, I mean in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we had one store, Nicholas Country Store. He sold everything. Horse feed, cow feed, ice cream, <laughs> butter, milk. You need it, he's got it. If they don't have it, you don't need it. So we had 12 milk cows. Now, if that cow didn't milk that day, we milked them twice a day. That milk, mm, mm, that's not good. Milk them again twice tomorrow, mm, not much milk. If that cow doesn't milk for a week, we shoot him and put him on the grill. <laughs> We're going to eat steak come Sunday. Boom. Because you're supposed to produce. God expects production out of us. We are the salt and the light of this planet. We're supposed to leave everybody better than we find them. That's our reason for being here. And we live in the greatest day of human history. Wouldn't you hate to get to heaven? <laughs> thumb suck your way to heaven. Because some people thumb I had a brother-in-law. You want to get spirit filled? Do I need that to go to heaven? Not really. Well, I don't want it then. <laughs> you want to go to church? Do I need that to go to heaven? Well, no, not really. Well, I don't want to go to church. And you can stay out of the loop so long, you can get lost. And I won't say more than that. It's an ugly thing. And so I told my kids, I, I, I don't want to be shot and put on the grill. I want to do what I'm created and put here to do. <laughs> and so the sooner you get busy finding out what you're good at, so I'd give tests every year. Every year I'd give my kids three tests. I did it after they were grown. Uh, the last time I did it was four years ago. Uh, we did a family vacation every year at Christmas time. And uh, it's something my wife asked me to do, Joe. I don't ask for a thing, but once a year, I want the whole family to get together at some place, a cabin. We've been to Gatlinburg, South Texas. We've been all over. Been out here to Aspen once. So I'll have us get together for one week, just the family. Okay, once a year, I'll pay for everybody, plane tickets, food, whatever. And so I did that. And so uh, about four years ago, I thought, no, Denise had died. And I realized that's the end of this. Kids got older. They got their own family. They got people they got to go see. I said, this is the end of this. You need to go see your relatives now. You've got other family members. We did this for a while. And it was real good. And so, but what I realized, uh, I would give them a test. I said, I own you for four hours. Every year, Chris, I own you for four hours. 
So we get in the room, I said, hey, I'm going to give you three tests. So I get a copy of the unemployment test. It's hard to get them now, but you still order them. I'm going to give you a copy of the unemployment test. You're going to take that. I'm going to give you a copy of uh, Discover Your God-Given Gifts by Don and Katie Fortune, professional uh, educators in California. They're living in Florida now. And then I'm going to give you an academic skills test. Give you three different tests. Based on these three tests, at the end of this book, uh, I'm going to find out the top 12 vocations you're going to be good at. It's a secular book, written by Christians, but a secular book. I said, according to this book, according to your gifts, what you did well at and what you didn't do well at, you're probably going to get a job in one of these 12 areas. I've narrowed it down to 12. You're going to narrow it down to one. That's up to you. Well, you're probably, you're probably not going to get a job doing that. You, you stink at that. My oldest daughter, was, she's a college professor. She made straight A's her whole life. Photographic memory. That didn't mean she told the truth or kept her room clean. She had a photographic memory. It was a gift. And so I'd go in sometime, check on them before I go to bed. She had a bedroom with my second daughter, Jessica. They're sitting there, and Jessica be sitting on the floor with the lamp on, and she'd be crying. What's wrong with you? It's not fair. It's not fair. What? She gets to sleep. She doesn't have to study. Yeah, she's got a photographic memory. I don't know where she got it. She didn't get it from me. And I don't think she got it from her mother. I think it's just one of those God things. You don't have it. you got to study. And so she'd have to cram. Same teacher, same school. Jessica studied two and three hours a night for the same course. And so, but eventually, uh, in high school, Sarah's captain of the basketball team because Sarah's real smart. She knew where to be, right place, right time. She was not very athletic, but very smart. Jessica was a great athlete. And uh, she was the three-point shooting champion state of Oklahoma her junior year. Uh, she went to college on the basketball scholarship at Old Roberts University. Your gift will make room for you. Not your sister's gift, not your brother's gift, not your daddy's gift, not your mother's gift. Your gift. But if you don't know you're gifted, you won't chase anything. So I thought as a parent, my job is to help them every year. Find your gift. You're good at something. God didn't lie. Uh, my, my third daughter was a C student at best. She's the only one of my six kids that did not get a college scholarship. All my kids got college scholarships. So how'd you do that? Well, I learned how to take tests. I learned how to go ask questions. Because none of them were that smart, but we got free money. <laughs> and so Corey's the only one. She got a 25% scholarship for being related to her younger sister who got a full scholarship to college. <laughs> so I'm saying, that's what I got to say something. Hey, baby, it's good. You got money just for being related. Praise God. I told Corey, you're good at something. I just can't figure out what it is. I've had 18 years to work on it, and I don't have a clue what you're good at. But God didn't lie. You're good at something. So you like taking pictures, so take your camera. Go volunteer for the yearbook staff and the college paper. Volunteer to take pictures for them. They'll let you do that. Well, she did that for a year and a half. Didn't get paid a dime. Bought her own film, her own camera. Went to every athletic event, every music event. A year and a half later, starting her junior year, the president of the university's son had that job. Well, he graduated. So they came to court. Court, you seem to know all this stuff. Would you like to take over the college paper and the yearbook? Says full scholarship. She said yes. So Corey finished on a full scholarship. So we're sitting at a our table out in our house in Oklahoma years ago, and it's Thanksgiving. Everybody's there, all my kids and their spouses. And so Corey and I are talking at the table, and so we have a publishing company. And so it got kind of quiet. And my oldest daughter, who's a college professor, what are y'all talking about? Corey and I's publishing company. I said you have a publishing company? I said yeah. The real one? Yeah. You get paid, dear God, I hope so. We don't do this for free. She said, well, how come you didn't ask me? 
I said, what's your degree in? English. Just the way she said, why didn't you ask me? What's your degree in accounting? I already got an accountant. What's your, what's your degree in interior design? I didn't hire her because she's my daughter. I hired her because she has a, a degree in journalism. I needed a journalist, not a daughter. But my daughter happens to be a journalist. And her gift made room for her, brings her before Kings, gets her really big paychecks. Merry Christmas. But there were times when you were kids where Corey never made the honor roll. She never made first chair flute. She got kicked out of every basketball game and soccer game she's in because she was short. Petite little thing. But she learned how to trip people at the foul line. <laughs> and it took about a year for the referees to catch on. Boop, you're out of here. What? Corey never yelled, never cussed. If she ever cussed, I never heard her. Never raised her voice. I remember there were times she'd say, what would you say to me? I'm sorry, Dad, what? What did you just say? I don't know, Dad. What did you hear? <laughs> and I realize that woman has a gift with words. We're going to put that to work. The whole thing about life is that we're all here by divine appointment. We're here for a reason. All of us have opposition. Jesus never sinned. He had opposition every day. Apostle Paul got opposed every day. They tried to shove Jesus off a cliff. They lied about him. What'd you do? Nothing. I just showed up. You don't have to do anything to have people hate you. Not everybody on this planet is going to like you. I can't get into this. It'll be too deep. I'll make this statement. I'll close with this. Friends. The most powerful teaching you'll ever do is look up the word friend in the Bible. There are more scriptures on friends and friendship than there are on the subject of heaven and hell because friends will take you to hell. Because the devil doesn't show up with the horns and the pitchfork. He shows up looking good, smelling good, and talking good. And if you don't know the truth, you'll bite into it. Oh, I'm like, no, don't let some gum flap your gum flap you into something. What are they saying? The Bible says, the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing will be established. Can you find two or three scriptures about that? Then leave it alone. It's a lie. I mean, how good it looks, it's going nowhere. It's a dead end road. So, Angel and I's kids are all out of college, married off. They're all in church. They're not perfect. There's not a perfect one in the bunch because they didn't have perfect parents. But they're good. They're real stinking good because one thing, they know how to repent quick and forgive quick. Now, it might take about four or five days sometimes because they get stubborn, but they'll come around. Yeah, I don't want to pause up like that. Well, good, baby. You need to. God bless you. I love you. Because you're old enough now where I'm not your daddy anymore. I'm your father. I'm not your daddy. Because they'll come now and they'll ask, Dad, what do you think about this? I don't know. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus always answered a question with a question. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every time Jesus was asked a question, he answered with a question. What do you think I ought to do? I don't know. What do you think you ought to do? What do you think about this? I don't know, babe. What do you think? Put it back on them. And they'll answer their own question. They're not stupid, but they're trying to follow something. No, you follow God. He's in you. Christ, you're the hope of glory. It's going to be a great run. Now, when we come back, we're going to go into the fun part of what it's like with all these relationships interacting with one another. Because eventually the whole goal of having kids is to get them out of the house. Why don't you have all these children? Well, children are known from God. 
their own loan from God. I'm to train them up and I'm to give them back to God. One day I'm going to give you back to God. Go. <laughs> Be blessed. My kids, at every wedding, at every wedding, I got five daughters. I held my hand out at every wedding. I said, put your door key in my hand. I'm not making this up. They said, what? Door key, give it to me. Don't you ever come back to my house unless I invite you. I love you. I fixed your crooked teeth. I sent you to summer school. Helped you get into college. I paid for your wedding. Paid for your honeymoon. Bought your first car. Ho, ho, ho. I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down your chimney. And I got the cancer check approved. But now that you're getting married today, put your door. Don't you ever come back to my house unless I invite you. If you ever come to my house and I haven't, you haven't called first, I will not let you in. I'm very serious. I live way out in the country, then mile seventeen seventh If you come up my driveway and you haven't called, I will not let you in. It's my time with mom now. I got 80 years of parenting. It's our time now. But if you come, you call, hey, Dad, we'd like to come out. Well, come on. When are you going to come? Well, it'll be about 5 o'clock. Well, when you come out, I look forward to seeing you and your kids. Bring food. <laughs> I'm very serious. You're not eating my food. You're going to bring your food with you, and you can leave the leftovers with me. And then when you leave, you will leave before it gets dark, and you will take your children home with you. I have eight grandkids that I love dearly. There's not a one of them that's ever spent the night at my house. You will never spend the night at my house. You will never pee in my bed. You're going to pee in your own bed. You're going to pee in your mama's bed. I did my time as a parent. I'm not going to be a substitute for you. You raise your own kids. I love them. I got the cancer checks to prove I love them. They're not sleeping. Angel thinks very different now. She does not agree with me. Her two kids have not dropped any kids yet. And she said, well, when they do, they're coming to our house. Well, when they do, I'm going to have a Winnebago sitting in the driveway. And that's where I'm going to be. And nobody's going to pee in my bed in there. <laughs> so we're all different. I'm working it out. So let's stand up. Say this after me. Say, I am blessed and highly favored. Will you convince me, Pastor? Man. All right. I trust things that were said. You can take it home as pearls of wisdom. We're going to take a break. At 10.30, we'll come back in here. It has product table out there. So please avail yourself of that. We are going to receive an offering at the end of this next session, so be prepared for that. So you are dismissed on break.